Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm very excited. We have Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, aka Dr. Z, on the podcast today. She is a psychologist and a narcissistic relationship expert. She also has her own podcast. It is called It's Me, Dr. Z with JB. And she also has a book coming out called Find Your Calm. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to talk to us about a very important topic. Sure. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Awesome. So narcissists, I actually, I hear that word thrown around a lot. It's kind of like become a trendy word, I feel like, Mm -hmm. within the last five Mm -hmm. years. What Mm -hmm. exactly is a narcissist? Yes. So what I usually start with is telling people what a narcissist is not first. Um, You know, oftentimes when people are in toxic relationships or somebody um, cheats on somebody, there's infidelity. A lot of times the word narcissist, right, will be thrown around because they've done some sort of damaging behavior to the other person. And there's a big difference between being an a-hole and being a narcissist. You can be a really obnoxious person. You can be a really selfish person. You can have a drug problem. You can have a drinking problem. You can be physically abusive and not be a narcissist. So narcissists just aren't people that do mean bad things in relationships. What a narcissist is, is somebody who, and I think this is the hardest part for people to wrap their brain around, and we'll, we'll talk about this, I'm sure. Narcissists are people who will approach a relationship in a very deliberate, manipulative manner that has a very distinct pattern to it. It's similar across the board with you know some variations, but there's a very distinct pattern to it. It's very manipulative to kind of get you in very quickly, very fast, detach you from everybody else, make you feel super connected, super safe. And then once they have you, then they start to kind of, you know, devalue you, devalue your sense of self, your self-worth. And it's this slow trickle that, you know, the initial stage, and we'll talk about that is very quick, but then there's, there's this slow trickle that happens. There is no remorse. Unlike somebody, let's say, who cheats on their spouse but has tremendous amount of guilt, or somebody who is physically abusive and has an alcohol problem, goes and gets help and feels a ton of remorse and knows it's wrong and wants to change. That's the key difference. With a narcissist, there is no remorse. Yes, they know what they're doing. I mean, some behaviors, I'm sure, are habitual because they've been doing them over time. But even if you bring them to their awareness, and they realize what they're doing, they don't care that they've hurt you. So there's no remorse. There's no empathy. There is no effort to change. I tell people all the time, and again, this is something understandably so people have a hard time understanding. They don't change. They won't change. And if they say they're going to change and they change ever so slightly, it's not without a manipulative purpose, which is usually to get the person back into their life to restart the whole process again. Okay. And what's the difference between a narcissist and a sociopath? Because I hear so, both no, terms. Sure. So narcissists and sociopaths, 
for antisocial personality disorder, which oftentimes people think antisocial means you don't, you don't want to, you know, you don't like being social. You don't like talking to people. It actually is sociopath. They're the same concept in that same realm. So there is a lot of overlap between narcissists and sociopaths. Sociopaths are, there's more of an enjoyment factor. There's more of a wanting to cause harm for their own pleasure. Whereas with a narcissist, it's more about getting back some sort of fuel or supply. It's it's getting, having control over your emotions versus kind of deliberately wanting to harm somebody for their own, you know, personal enjoyment, personal gain. It tends to be much more, there's a lot of kind of covert emotional manipulation with narcissists. People with antisocial personality disorder, sociopaths, definitely manipulate. There is no remorse. Uh, there is no empathy. They have no desire to change. They don't care what they did. So in that respect, it's similar. Um, but it's not necessarily as covert as kind of under the radar. It's 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 not as um, hidden, let's say. Okay. And what are some narcissistic tendencies? Uh, just say they're not in a relationship, like day to day, what are some things or flags sure. that would help Outside someone of- recognize? Yeah, like, oh, that person might have narcissistic tendencies. If they're starting, if they go on a date with them or just in general in the just just in, just general. in general. Yeah. So somebody who has day-to-day interactions so you may not recognize somebody's a narcissist just based on one or two interactions they actually come off very charming they may come off um very helpful very supportive because they want to look good they want you to think the world of them but on a day-to-day basis if you're kind of interacting with the same person some of the red flags would be, like I said, starting out very supportive, very engaging, um, philanthropic, that, you know, they just seem like good, good, solid people. But you tend to see this very labile mood that starts to happen. You cannot confront them. You cannot give them constructive criticism, any type of feedback. You can't give them any type of no response if they want something from you. If you say no, you'll get you know, kind of emotionally punished, so to speak, or you'll get a silent treatment, something like that, or they'll, you know, do things to, to make your life difficult. It could be something like a sense of arrogance about them, this sense of, you know, I'm kind of better than you, and nothing you do will ever top mine, you know, this kind of yeah, just sense of arrogance. Sometimes they can be verbally abusive from the beginning, very angry. There's a lot of anger with narcissism, especially when you challenge them on their behavior, call them out on their stuff. There's a lot of anger. Well, sometimes because I just hear like people assume if someone's really into themselves, like, oh, that yes. person's a narcissist, you know, so no, they, they, yeah. thanks for clearing that up. It's a, it, it's a multitude of things. It's not, it's never just one thing like somebody's selfish or somebody has little awareness. It's it's a it's a lot of things rolled into one. It's never just one symptom that makes somebody a narcissist. And is this something that's nurtured or are people born narcissists? So there's a lot of um there's a lot of back and forth with this with the research. So typically it's been viewed as the result of certain types of 
patterns in your upbringing with your caretakers, your primary caretakers, which could look like a narcissistic parent or a neglectful parent or a parent that had really high expectations and rules and things just were never enough. So you never felt enough. It could be any type of abuse. So there's a lot of patterns that a child can grow up within. And as a way to cope with those patterns effectively, the child comes up with a very intelligent way to manage life, right? And this is what they use. The problem becomes when they use those patterns past that point in their life when the situation no longer calls for those types of patterns in the child. They never adjust to a non-threatening environment, let's say. Uh, I was going to say, because it seems like it almost stems from like coping, like, yeah. is it like coping yep. mechanisms yep. growing up? Can yep. it also be nurtured by parents who make their kids feel like too special and like you're Absolutely. number one, no one's going to be better Absolutely. than you? Absolutely. Okay. So one of the things that happens is that parents can, the kind of that golden child that we hear about, you know, and it could, it's usually one child out of like three siblings or one child out of two. It's never, it's not really ever, but it's, they pick one and these expectations are put on it. They can do no wrong. They can do no harm. The rules don't apply to them, which then branches out into things like societal norms then don't apply to them or the law does not apply to them. They get, you know, their parents jump in and handle everything and get them out of trouble. And so there's no consequences to their actions And that mentality continues to carry on. So that also a lot of times is where the sociopathic narcissistic kind of blends a little bit more with the no consequences to their actions, no learning from their mistakes, um, that they are so focused as are their parents on getting them out of trouble when they committed, you know, or did something wrong versus having empathy for the people that they've harmed. You know, a perfect example, this is many, many years ago, but um, I remember watching the Scott Peterson trial years ago when he when he had killed his wife. And I will never forget the mother. His mother was being interviewed in the way she described her son. And this was even before I was like, I think even in grad school, it gave me such chills because it was so disconnected and so often you could tell exactly it had, it was this golden child syndrome. It was, it was very disturbing to, to watch. Um, so you do have that often as far as it being nature versus nurture, there is research that says that there are some findings that a child may be born like this, that there is some differences in terms of how their brain looks how their brain operates, how their brain processes emotions differently than somebody else, how their brain processes consequences, um, you know, and kind of things that would lead into empathy and remorse. So there is research on on both. I think the majority of the research is, is probably pattern-based um, coping skills, like you said. For someone who might have a pattern of dating or choosing narcissists, is there a certain personality? Like what kind of person is susceptible to falling for a narcissist? Sure. So what I tell people initially, because there's a lot, a lot of times, mostly with women who date male narcissists, because there are, there are female narcissists, don't get me wrong. Um, majority of my patients are female though, who have been in relationships with male narcissists. Narcissism, it doesn't discriminate. So a lot of times women will feel 
guilt and a lot of shame that they did this, they got into this, they didn't realize nobody is, you know, I almost would say nobody's safe. Nobody, it, it can happen kind of to anyone. Anyone can fall into it if they don't know what to look for. The difference is once they realize what's happening, certain types of personality styles of women may be more likely to leave sooner, let's say, than somebody else um, or get out when they realize what happens after the love bombing phase. Um, but t- typically, a lot of times people pleasers will tend to attract people with narcissistic styles or narcissistic personality disorder because they are very willing to put their needs second. They're very willing to give up their needs. They may not even realize that they even have needs because they've been a people pleaser their whole life. Their needs didn't matter as much. So a narcissist would welcome that with open arms because their needs don't matter, right? That what they want in life doesn't matter. And a lot of times it's to the point where well, if women get out of these relationships and say, I, they'll say they're a shell of their former self. They won't even know what type of food they like. They won't know what type of music they like because they've been told this narrative of what they should like, what they should do, how they should act, that they've kind of lost that self-identity. And that's something that, you know, is, is, is pretty traumatic and how we kind of help to restore, but people pleasers notoriously, um, I think are are more likely than than let's say other styles to gravitate towards a narcissist. Somebody who tends to be extremely forgiving and make a lot of excuses for why somebody is the way that they is. Well, they had a very tough upbringing, or well, they were very angry. You know, they're they're working on stuff and kind of support that narrative that the other person is in pain. And, you know, I get this a lot, especially on Instagram, when I'll post about narcissism, I'll get a lot of responses of, you know, this person's in pain, this person's in psychological pain, the narcissist that is, and, you know, they should be treated as such. And, And here's the problem with that, is that that's all that their partner has been doing is treating this psychological pain. I can't say to somebody who's been abused financially, emotionally, sexually, physically for two years, 20 years, 30 years, that they should be forgiven because the person was in psychological pain. So I always say, I don't doubt that the narcissist is in psychological pain. The issue is that they don't acknowledge that pain. They will never acknowledge that pain. It would have to, they'd have to unravel who they are and they will not get to that vulnerability they they just which is why they never present for treatment unless it's court mandated or something like that is it possible for them to change it's not okay no hard no for for narcissistic personality disorder no no for somebody who has if you think of it as a continuum for you know sometimes like you and I right now for example right like you're an expert in what you do I'm an expert in what I do we're talking about this so our narcissistic traits maybe will show more in this because it makes us successful in what we do, right? But we have the awareness of when to reel it back in, right? If I'm in a conference and I'm learning something I have no idea about, I'm going I'm to reel that back in. Or if I offend somebody, I'm going to reel that back in. Somebody with narcissistic personality disorder 
they won't change. If they do change, it, again, like I said, it's to get something. It's to gain access to somebody else's emotions, to manipulate them in some way. Which is why if somebody doesn't understand the nuances of, of narcissistic personality, right, they may very understandably so refer the, the patient to couples therapy. A narcissistic partner should not be in couples therapy with the narcissist. I never recommend that. It's, it's a recipe for disaster and um, more opportunity for the narcissist to get that fuel that they want from the therapist, the charm therapist, so then the, their partner feels even more unheard, confused, um, you know, more unwilling to, to talk about what's going on, more traumatized. You had mentioned love bombing, and that's common that narcissists will love bomb. Mm -hmm. Um, for clarity, in case people don't know what lo love bombing is, what are some examples of that? Sure. So, you know, I, I jokingly say this, but it kind of really isn't a joke. I'll say if you hear from somebody else within the first date, two days, three days, four days, even five days, that you're their soulmate, you run. Here's why. I know it sounds great. And I know there's people listening and say, well, you know, I met my husband or my wife and I knew right away they were my soulmate. Totally fine. It's not just one thing. It's going to be a multitude of things. So they tell you that you're their soulmate, but they don't do any of the other love bombing stuff. Wonderful. Great. You know, that's amazing. Like you're one of the lucky ones, right? It's, it's great. Go for it. Here's the question. This is what I'll, I'll say to my patients is that, they may say they're, you're their soulmate. They don't even know your middle name yet. They don't know anything about how you deal with your problems. They don't know what your interests are. They don't know what hobbies you have. How the hell do they know that you're their soulmate? They, based on what? Looks? I mean, you know, there's nothing to go on. So there's that. They come on very strong, very fast, like a tidal wave, and it almost feels too good to be true. They sweep you off their feet, up your feet, calling you nonstop because they miss you, texting you nonstop because they miss you, sending flowers to your office very quickly, very early on because they miss you or they just loved the date that you had, when in reality, it's kind of marking their territory. Right. They want, they want to be this, this is they're they're, you're an object. That's it. You're not a person. You're an object that gives them something. So excessive gifts, expensive gifts, gifts, going away on vacation. You know, next thing you know, you're in Mexico for a week. You've been together for four weeks, three weeks. And I know people are listening to say, Oh my God, well, I went you know, on vacation with someone to Mexico after three weeks and we're still together. Is he a narcissist or she a narcissist? No, again, it's all, it's a lot of these things together. Are they rude to people in retail stores, to waiters and waitresses, to bartenders? How do they respond to, you know, anyone in the hospitality aspect of things? Are they are they yelling at the waiter and waitress because the food was late? Are they overly aggressively charming to the point where it's like odd, you know, that they're next thing you know they're talking about the the bartenders, you know aunt's cousin's dog or something, you know, and they get really into it with people. Do you find that they're asking you about you? And if they are asking you about you, are they remembering it 
on the next date or are they asking you the same stuff? It's like, didn't we already talk about this? They're not listening because they don't care. They're doing it because they're supposed to ask about you because that's what looks like a reciprocal, you know, relationship. Um, they will mo- more than likely not call their exes quote crazy um, that they're always the victim that everyone they've been with is, is, you know, stalking them or won't leave them alone, something like that. They tend to not have a lot of friends. They'll have a lot of acquaintances and they'll look like they're very socially engaged, but they really don't have many friends. Um, so again, it's, it's all of these things combined into one, but in the beginning you will feel like this is a fairy tale you can't believe you found somebody like this. How did you ever find someone like this? How did you ever meet this person? And they will suck you in extremely fast. It's a tidal wave. That's the best way I can describe it. It's not gradual. It's not even fast. It's excessively fast. And then what happens after the, the love bombing phase? What are some examples of ways they'll start to manipulate Mm-hmm. So they've already been manipulating since or, day or, one. Love, bo- yes. love or, bombing, or, right? Or, or, or yeah, maybe in a way that just feels more negative or Worth, to cause yeah. the question marks to go up. Like, yes, right. So that happens. It, it the love bombing phase. There's no set time period on that. So it, it could be three weeks till they feel they've sucked you in. It could be three years. It 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 varies. On, you know, based on the the situation based on the status of the relationship. Um, but the second kind of phase of this cycle, they start to what's called devalue you. And it's very subtle. And it's it's like a drip on a faucet. It's You don't really notice it. It's very slow until, you know, I just, I describe it to my patients is this kind of, you're, you're in this like cage almost. And every so often a bar is put up around you and then next thing you know you realize you look around and you're in this cage and you don't know how you got here but you can't get out so it's 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 like that it's very subtle so things like you know Jamie your your friend your friend from college that that I that I met I I know you trust her but there's just something a little strange about her I can't can't figure out what it is I don't I don't think you should trust her that much or you know your your mom she's She's is she always like this? And you're kind of like, what? What do you mean, my mom? I love my mom. She's so overbearing. You know, just slowly start to say things to get you isolated from friends and family, so that when the abuse really starts, you don't have anyone to go to, or you're so disconnected from them that you don't even feel comfortable talking to them anymore because your partner will present as extremely charming. So it would be this kind of weird dichotomy, and you just can't even begin to put it into words because nobody sees them like that because they're not close with you to know the day-to-day. Um, so that will start to happen. They'll start to be super inconsistent with how they respond to you. So one of the things, and I'm, I'm sure you, you know this, I'll explain it for people who don't know what intermittent reinforcement is, but it's it's like gambling, right? Like you never know what you're going to get. And so it's very common in narcissistic relationships. It's built upon this idea of intermittent reinforcement. It's not stable. So one day you you make breakfast and they tell you how wonderful you are. And thank you so much for this meal. It's so good. 
The next morning, you make the same exact breakfast. Nothing has changed, but all of a sudden, they now pick up the breakfast, throw it against the wall, and say, you're terrible, you're horrible, you know, you, you're so unattractive, you're so stupid, what's wrong with you, you don't even know how to make eggs. And it's so crazy making because you, you literally, there's no rhyme or reason, but that's the whole point. The whole point is it makes you think you did something wrong. So, and this is that second stage. So you try to fix whatever it is, but you have no idea what you're fixing because there's no rhyme or reason. And, and that's, that's on purpose. Um, to just kind of suck you in. So intermittent reinforcement based relationships are very difficult to break free from for the same reason, gambling, addiction. Um, it's that same pattern, that same style. So things like that will start to happen or, you know, they'll start to make comments about your job. They'll start to make comments very slowly about your intelligence. All these things that really get to your self-worth. That is the whole purpose of this is to really knock you down, but in a very subtle way that you can't quite call them out on. Gosh, that and a lot of financial abuse starts to happen. So things like in a love bombing phase, oh, you you don't need to work. You've worked your whole life. Why don't you just relax? Like, don't worry about it. You know, quit your job. I'll take care of you. You deserve to relax. Here's my credit card. I'll get a. I'll get you a car, and we'll buy a new house. And there's all these future promises that they tend to make like you know we'll we'll get we'll go on all these vacations we'll get engaged or we'll buy this gorgeous house together and they never happen it's just kind of to suck you in but um when financial abuse starts to occur that's very difficult to get out from because if you were to leave what are you going to leave with especially if there's kids involved so they will tell you you can't work they will tell you you don't have to work and it all sounds great and whatever, but what ends up happening is you have no access to, to finances. You have no income. You have no earning potential. Um, and there's, there's a reason for that because money is a very significant way to control somebody. Someone sent in a question, a listener mm-hmm. did, um, and it has to do with um, what you mentioned in the beginning about how narcissists do not respond well when you call them out on something. So she's actually talking about a friend. She says they've been friends for over 20 years. They're college classmates. She has always just contacted me when it's convenient for her. She said, which is fine. It's always been that way because she's only focused on talking about her. Most of our conversations are on dating life. I've given her honest feedback when the dates mistreat her, but also realize she has low self-esteem. She tends to be hopeful even when the dates, even with the dates that didn't sound amazing. In a few recent dating situations, when they ghost her and she confronts them, her responses have been really toxic. I was learning about setting boundaries, so I decided to do that and asked her to not discuss her dating life. But wow, that backfired. Mm-hmm. I, I later watched a video on how boundaries how boundaries don't work with narcissists. What should I have done instead? Excellent question. So, so boundaries do work with narcissists. Let me explain why. Not in the way you think that they do work. So a lot of times people think boundaries are to get the other person to stop doing X, Y, and Z. That's not the purpose of boundaries. Boundaries are to inform the other person what you're willing to accept, what you're willing to take, and what you're not willing to accept from them. That that has no impact on that. That doesn't mean they're going to stop doing 
whatever it is they're doing. You're just choosing to let them know, I'm not dealing with you, right? So boundaries, you know, my patients will come in and say, I tried to set a boundary. It didn't work because so-and-so continued to do X, Y, and Z. Well, of course they continue to do it. They're, they're always going to do it. It's how you choose to respond to that. And what response can you give that you can walk away having the, the most neutral response internally possible, right? So walking away and feeling more at peace, what can you do to, to get that reaction for yourself? If our boundaries are based on what other people's behaviors are, they're never going to work. We have no control over what other people do. So in that respect, boundaries work, but boundaries are for you and you only. So um, you you actually didn't do anything wrong. I actually would tell you to continue doing exactly what you did, which was to tell this person not to not, I would say maybe I, I'm not going to discuss dating with you anymore rather than I'm going to ask you not to bring it up anymore because that's putting it on them. You say, I'm not going to talk about this anymore. It's super frustrating for me. And the reason why you said it backfired isn't necessarily backfiring. It's exactly what I would expect to happen. What I would tell you would have happened to prep you for what's about to happen when you confront a narcissist, if this person is a narcissist that, you know, I don't know, but they're either going to say, especially to a people pleaser or somebody who's been so accepting of their behavior for so long, you're so selfish, right? You're such a bitch. I can't believe you're doing this. Um, I've always been there for you. How could you do this to me? What do you mean you're not going to listen to me? I always listen to you and really just kind of freak out about it. Not because they're angry, but because they want to try to push you back into your original role of no boundaries. Why? Because it benefits them because you're an object. So again, I'm, it, it, I'm going with the assumption this person is, has narcissistic personality disorder. Um, that's why I'm making it so kind of severe. But if it's narcissistic tendencies, then there's the likelihood that they have awareness that maybe they don't notice they're doing it because it's been an unhealthy pattern they've had forever. But with awareness, they can change. They want to change. They didn't realize they were hurting you. Um, that's best case scenario. But if you're dealing with a personality disorder, um, they're never going to understand where you're coming from because they don't care. You are a sounding board for them for whatever their reason is. It doesn't matter. So you actually did exactly what you what you should have done. What I would recommend that you do is if you're going to set a boundary with a narcissist, it has to be something you're willing to commit to 100% of the time. Otherwise, you get, again, into that intermittent reinforcement. That sometimes you set the boundary, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have wiggle room, sometimes you don't. It has to be something you're willing to commit. Start small and slowly kind of build your way up as you gain more confidence doing this. The other alternative is something that is very common when you're dealing with narcissistic, especially partners, is where you cut them off completely. No contact. And you are extremely neutral. You give them nothing. No emotional response, nothing. You almost become so boring to them that they get nothing from you anymore. So they have no need for you anymore. That's what you want. <laughs> you don't want them to need you anymore. Um, they will come back. They they always view you as, your friend will always view you as hers. She, You're always hers. She always, in her mind, views you as property of her. Of her. Um, and she will try to re-enter. That's what happens. Re-enter your life. Come back again. Apologize. All these things. 
true narcissists don't do that because they miss you. You know, whereas if you and I go back into a relationship because we realize we're wrong, we miss a person, we can be genuine about that. They don't miss people. They just miss having access to their emotions because they like getting that fuel back from them to know they have access. So it's not because they miss you and they've changed. It's because they just want to see if they still have access to you. So if someone is in a relationship and they suspect this person is a narcissist, but they don't feel confident to take action or leave, break up with this person, break up with this friend, what should they do? So great question. So um, I would say the average amount of attempts to leave is probably around six or seven. So it's very common to try to leave, come back, try to leave, come back. But even just initially leaving, especially when there's children involved, you know, if there's if you're married, if there's legal things, it can get a little bit trickier. But generally speaking, if you don't have the confidence to leave. What I always say is do your research, not in terms of whether this person is a narcissist or not, because I get a lot of those questions. Like, how do I know if they're a narcissist or not to make my decision to leave? You don't, you don't need to know. You don't need to diagnose them. If you feel in any way threatened, verbally abused, your self-worth is gone, you know, there's, there's financial abuse, there's all this stuff going on. You don't need a diagnosis to leave, right? Like for kind of, I tell people to take that off the table. It's not your job to diagnose them. What, what I think people should do is talk to people. You know, when I say go on social media, meaning find people that are, you know, legitimate mental health providers who specialize in this area because you don't want to just have someone talk about it to talk about it because the nuances are are very subtle. So you want to find somebody who is a specialist in this, get as much information in this, in these situations, information is power, get as much information as you possibly can start to slowly set yourself up in a position to be able to leave. Should you decide to leave, meaning start to contact one person outside that you feel that you can trust. It may be scary because you haven't contacted them in so long, most of the time, more times than not, that person is so thankful that you've contacted them because they've been scared, they've been upset, they're so worried about you. So you contacting them isn't going to be, you know, well, you know, you haven't spoken to me in so long and, you know, I hate you now. That's usually not the case. Um, slowly, if you can, start to set aside some money for yourself because a lot of times that is one of the things that keeps people. I would get as many resources as you can as far as shelters, as far as um, advocates that can help you, you know, attorneys start to touch base with people because you're going, you're going to need that, especially if you're in a a divorce or there's kids and there's custody, Um, know what your options are. The more information you have, the more in control you're going to feel, the more confident you're going to feel. Um, it's very difficult to leave because the self-worth component is is gone. So the more information you have, the more tangible kind of help that you have, the better. You need someone on the outside to help pull you out, whether that's an advocate, whether that's a psychologist, whether it's a friend, but you need someone on the outside who's objective to this. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all this 
useful info. Like I, I honestly, I'm actually like a little uncomfortable right now hearing yes. this. And it is I, that uncomfortable. You are correct. Yes, it is. Like I just feel yes. scared and bad for yes. people who feel like they're stuck in this situation. Yes, it's very upsetting. It's very upsetting. Very upsetting. And so I tell, you know, people are listening and they realize, you know, like, oh my gosh, she just describes my life. I I really encourage you to reach out to somebody who specializes in this so that you don't feel alone. The one thing I want people to know, especially women, is this is not your fault. This, This was nothing you could have seen coming. And, you know, you know now, but nobody knows unless they have the information of what love bombing is. Right of of what that that trickle of devaluing and discarding looks like. No, nobody knows. So that's why it's important to get the information out there. So it's not your fault. You did nothing wrong. If people would like to send you a message or see more of your work, where's a good place for them to see that? Sure. So you can go to my website, drjamiezuckerman.com, or um, on Instagram. I post a lot of stuff about narcissism, um, and that's dr period Z underscore psychologist, just regular Dr. Z psychologist was taken. So <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no and, I'll put it in the notes. Then, yeah. And then my podcast, which you had, you had referenced, I, we have a lot of episodes about narcissism in there as well. I have workshops on my website that you can do and a lot of resources for you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. This was great. Thank you. I, I, love getting the information out there for people. So thank you for having me. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you've enjoyed the show, please give it five stars and write a review. It helps my rankings and I really, really appreciate it. And if you're interested in my book to read or gift to a friend, it's called Show Up, Finding Love for Independent Women, and it's available on Amazon. Have a great day.